0: It's beginning to look a lot like
1: Christmas
0: Soon the bells will start And the thing that'll make them ring Is the carol that you sing right within your heart Christmas once a month.
2: Woo, good morning, beautiful people. It is Tuesday in the Elm. Welcome to Love Bath's Love Talk on Baths Rolls Ivy. It's Tuesday. I don't know why I'm so sleepy this morning. I don't I don't know why. You know what, because I stayed up too late watching uh, TV. And then I went to bed too late. That's all right. It's a bad habit. I got to break it. So I am. So tonight I will go to bed at a decent hour. I've got a few things I need to do, but I'm going to go to bed at a decent hour. No more of this foolishness. <laughs> Although it's something about late nights I love. Like I just love late nights. And that's 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 a that's the problem. I like late nights. I like to be in the late nights. You know. So so maybe I just say I'll have like I'll leave the late nights for a particular night. Like I can't make every night a late night. Like, I will like, all right, I got to go to bed at a decent hour and these other times. And then I'll save late nights for, like, a late night. You know what I mean? Like, I'll, I'll save a, a late night for a late night. So we'll see what happens. We shall see what happens. Uh I'm telling you, these um, these um, <laughs> these scam artists are really, really good. <laughs> they are good. I was like, "That's not what I want you to do." So I'm like, "All right, I'm, I'm gonna let them uh, let them continue to play." You know, so anyway, um, what is new in the world? I'll get to the Advent stuff in a hot minute because I know people like it. And I appreciate you liking it and I appreciate the the messages that I get about it. Thank you. Because, you know, I'm always just thinking nobody's listening. It's just me talking about the stuff that I want to talk about. So I, I appreciate it greatly. You know, the Advent conversations. Um, let me tell you, though, I'm excited at 10.15, my dear friend, uh, Will Spivy, is coming on to talk about not one, but two, 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 two books. Um, uh, One is uh, Estranged Americans, Fallacies of Freedom, Citizenship, and Racism, and the other one is Strong Beginnings. And uh, I will say I had a hand in this, so... <laughs> So I'm I'm pleased as pie uh I'm pleased as pie to uh, have him on. He is one of my favorite writers actually. I think he's a fine writer and he has a fine sense of uh taste for history and I like that. So, you know. So yeah, it's been a it's been a uh a, a wonderful uh It's been a wonderful seat to watch his writing trajectory. So um, I'm looking forward to having him on at 1015. And just chopping it up a little bit. He's down there in Florida, which I don't know how anybody lives in Florida. You know, know, first of all, Florida is Jurassic Park. Second of all, has Florida ever had a good governor? I don't know. Inquiring minds want to know. (laughs) And I'll ask him, I was like, was there ever a governor of Florida who was worth their weight in eminence? Any of them? I, I couldn't tell you the, the Florida governors. I couldn't tell you. So.
1: <sighs> anyway.
2: Anyway. Uh, I'm on the New Haven independent site and I'm just checking out the headlines. You know, oh, the first youth Shakespeare fest marks dramatic success. I remember my daughter was doing Shakespeare with uh, Elm City Shakespeare, Elm Shakespeare Teen Troop, and she she would have uh, enjoyed this if she was still uh, in that grade, you know, in school, you know. So I think she would have gotten a huge kick out of that. I don't know. I'm just imagining so uh what else is going on? oh rosa DeLauro. uh u s rep rosa DeLauro is uh is proposing uh a, a federal eviction uh, prevention act uh and somebody needs to talk about these evictions that are happening across the country they're just it's just like the wild wild west with these things, you know and uh somebody has to somebody has to uh concern themselves with people. Um, being evicted. I mean, I know we made a uh, we made a great deal of uh, uh, inroads here in Connecticut. Uh, probably not nearly enough, but at least somebody started talking about it. So, you know, uh, I'm always uh, interested in the uh, folks who pass away when I see, cause you know, I don't think people read the obituaries and I don't, cause I don't read the paper, paper, hard paper, but I I, I, I like when the independent uh, gives me a snapshot of uh, folks who have passed away, you know. I don't know these people, but Lee Shaw and Vandy Dulai, uh, um, I don't know them, but I might know them. He looks awfully familiar. You know, so anyway, that's the way of the world these days. Um, happy Hanukkah, still Hanukkah. Um, it is season of Advent too. The world is crazy. Um, you know, the uh, Ukraine president was in the United States yesterday, the day before, today. Um, you know, you know how Americans do. We we will... Uh, we will lose track of people's and their problems um are, the U- Ukrainian president was here because you know they trying to they still they are still in the throes of fighting Russia from a takeover and I know Russia is like I'm a bet on Americans because I know Americans don't pay attention to nothing their attention spans are short and before we know it before you know it, we will have marched on the Ukraine country and taken it because americans do not stay connected we just don't and you know you got them republicans in the in office who are like oh don't send any more aid i was like you know those are those are the kind of white folks you want in your country you want these ukrainians (laughs) you're not gonna get them scandinavians so you your next best bet is ukrainian folks I don't know. These people are just too much for me. Just, just, just too much, just too much, you know? Um, anyway, ah, that's the way of the world. So I went to the doctor yesterday and I had, um, I had to have a kidney ultrasound and uh I had to have a kidney ultrasound and what it came and what we know the kidneys are fine. I have a cyst on my kidney. They're not going to do anything. We're going to look at it again next year. As long as it doesn't do anything, my kidneys aren't swollen. Uh, uh, You know, it's all good. I've got a, um, I've got a, a renal, what is it called? Uh, I got a kidney with an extra extra renal pelvis and an extra renal pelvis is a normal anatomical variant that is predominantly outside the renal sinus and is larger and more distendable than an intra renal pelvis that is surrounded by sinus fat. So what they thought my kidney was swollen wasn't. I've got this extra, extra, extra renal pelvis. So it's like a birth defect, but it's fine. Like it's not a, it's not a hardship unless, you know, it does something. Uh, Unless it mimics something, but it's not doing that. Uh, So, so it's a rare thing. You know, like less than 10% of the population. Uh, And sometimes it's misinterpreted as hydro, hydronephrosis and close attention to detail. But I don't have that. So it's just one of these little things. So I done had all the tests and they done looked at it. And, you know, so, well, All the linings look good. Everything looks good, except I got that cyst. So we 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 have a date set for next December on the tenth, twenty twenty four. We'll go back and look at all. They'll do another sonogram and they'll just run me under the lights and you know all the things. Uh, I was like, okay, okay, okay. So that's where we got. So that was my day yesterday. Uh, it's about six months ago. Uh, I had they they came up and they did the scans or whatever they do, and it was like we're gonna look at it for six more months. And you come back, and then they ran the test again. And they were like, "Okay, we know what this is now. Um, your bladder looks good. Everything looks good. Although, um, I got fibroids in my uterus." Which I, you know, I'm 60, so, but my, but the radio, the the guy was doing the scans. He was like, "You should go have those looked at." And you know, when they talk to you like that, it's usually, you know, they see something and they need you to go handle it, but they don't want to alarm you because they don't want to get in trouble. So I was like, "All right, so so today, sometime today, never make an appointment to see somebody about these fibroids." <sighs> which I thought they, but you know, I, I, I'm just in menopause. I haven't lost my ovaries, So my ovaries function, everything functions, you know, that's just a mess I got to deal with. So I better go have that handled. Cause you know, when they tell you that stuff, I can hear it. I was like, you know what? Let me not sleep on what he is saying because sometimes you have to read between the lines and he wasn't alarming or anything like that. He was just like, I say, like, Oh, you see the fiber. He's like, yeah, you have some fibers. You should go get those looked at. He's like, when was the last time you, I was like, Oh, it's been a good while. He's like, Oh no, I, w- I would, I would, I would, you know, you should go get those looked at. I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, off I go. I don't need no more issues. So that's the warning right there. I don't got to wait for the slap, so I will make my appointment to go see somebody of the gynecological nature and take take a look see. Uh, because what what you see now could become quite a problem later, and I don't I don't want it to be a problem. So, uh, uh, yeah. I just don't want it to be a problem. So, you know. <sighs> so, yeah. And, you know, uh, I started, to, I should have wore my, um, I'll put it on tomorrow. I can't get it now. My Planned Parenthood hat that says, you know, abortion is health care. That's just that woman who's trying to have an abortion. She left the state of Texas because Texas, I don't know why Texas hate women so much. And I don't know why Texas women hate women so much. This woman already has two children. They told her that this baby she's carrying is, is not going to survive. It's not surviving. It's got so many defects. So they'd like to have an abortion because if she if she brings this baby to term, it's probably gonna harm her and she won't be able to have more kids and she'd like to have more kids. And so the the, the Texas Supreme Court said, all right, cool, go go get it done. And then these mofos <laughs> in the legislature gonna stop it. And I'm thinking, who the hell are these people to tell this woman and her doctor that she can't have this medical procedure? Like she's not, and even if she was a chick on the street just like i don't want to have a baby so what stop taking agency of women's bodies these people and not nan, none of these people got not nan, none of a medical degree they wouldn't know a vagina if it walked up and slapped them upside the head they wouldn't know a uterus if it introduced themselves at a cocktail party i don't understand and you know and white men are the absolute worst Right, I said my piece. <laughs> so thank you that she's going to another state so she can get the health care that she needs. But you know, she they are people that can do that. What about all the other people who won't be able to do that? Texas is trash. I'm sorry to the people who listen to me in Texas, but y'all need to get in those streets and get rid of that representation that y'all have. You really need to just rise up and, and take back your state. I'm saying that to all these states that have these ridiculous Republican governors and ridiculously ran Republican parties, you know, that is all about, you know, uh, curtailing the movement of women and the ability to work with their medical uh, uh, professionals on on the care of themselves. What the hell? And mm-hmm. by hell, I mean, what the F? <laughs> Oh my God, you know, it feels like being a woman is like still being in the 1600s, like come on. And women who allow for this mess, right, get back your vaginas, just drop them off at the post office, mail them to somebody, cause y'all don't deserve them. You don't deserve your vaginas if you, if you willy nilly let somebody else make decisions about what happens to your reproductive system other than you and your doctor oh my god i cannot stand it i i just cannot stand it i can't stand it you know (sighs) yeah anyway we're gonna we're gonna move on I don't want to move on. I want to set the world on fire about this stuff. I got my my planned parent giving letter. I'm going to definitely give. I got another Christmas card, too. I got to sit down today and do some. That's probably what I'm going to do. Oh, my God. These children are so grown up. Holy cow. Happy holidays. Ooh. There was babies last year. Like I'm looking at the cars from last year. It's like, these are not the same children. Holy cow. You know. Anyway. <laughs> this christmas cards i love getting christmas cards i you know i don't does anybody throw their christmas cards out after the fact i've not thrown out a christmas card in like 40 years <laughs> i'm not kidding you i have i have um i have a uh, uh all my christmas cards from ev- forever since ever <laughs> that people have sent me <laughs> since forever <laughs> And uh, You know, I know for some people, that is so annoying that I, I, just, I don't have the conscience to throw them out. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just can't do it. I just can't. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I guess because, first of all, cards are expensive as hell. Have you seen the price of a birthday card or a Christmas card? These jokers are anywhere from six, seven, eight, nine to I bought a Christmas card the other day. It was nine dollars. It was pretty though. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get into business of making my own damn cards. I'm not kidding it. This string on this T keeps finding my mouth. It is annoying as hell. I I so. You know, and I like fancy cards. I really do. I like fancy cards, and I've got a stack of cards that I got to start. So maybe that's what I'll do this evening. I'll sit in my bed and start doing some cards and get them mailed out. It's still early, you know. And if and if you know, I got I've got Kwanzaa cards too. So if I mess around and uh, and don't get my Kwanzaa get my Christmas cards done, I'll just run right into Kwanzaa. And 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 sometimes I send people Christmas and Kwanzaa cards because, you know, that's how we roll. And, oh, speaking of how we roll, see how I did that? And Harry, C- 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 Sierra and uh, Chris Brown's record, uh, record, <laughs> I'm going to call it a record. This new song is How We Roll. I love it. But anyway, the uh the wilson's had their baby daughter uh amara princess wilson uh and i'm i'm very uh i'm very pleased by that cuz she was very very pregnant and uh she was at the uh she was at the uh some some the the color purple uh red carpet her belly was very gold. (laughs) I was like, any day now, any day. And sure enough, the baby is here. So uh, God bless them. God bless them. I I just like them as a couple. I hope nothing, uh, you know. uh, I don't want to hear. uh anything else other than uh how amazing their marriage is that's it and whatever the future brings (laughs) see what i did there (laughs) maybe just blessings you know i i wish i wish he could just frame himself to be about blessings To bring bring some blessings. That thing needs a little steaming. Why is it so wrinkly? Anyway. Uh, so these people that keep these pet alligators, I, I don't know why you would do that. I don't know why you want to, I don't, you know, the whole concept of pets drives me nuts anyway. Because I always feels like, I always feel like, you're just keeping something in captivity, but I know we're used to dogs and stuff. So I was like, "All right, we're used to dogs and cats and and uh, other things." So I'm like, "Okay."
1: Raven, where are you going?
2: No, you know.
1: Where are you going? <laughs>
2: uh, so I, I I'm not a pet fan. I have a snake in my house, and I can't wait for the moment with the snake and its owner <laughs> get them some some digs some new digs you know some new digs so um i i was listening to uh the the news and 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 the <laughs> And the Israeli mouthpiece was saying, you know, we're close to wiping out Hamas. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, are you high? <laughs> you're, never, you're never gonna wipe out these people. <laughs> I know you're trying. I know you're doing everything in your power to wipe these people off the earth, but you're not going to do it. You know, just like, just like y'all couldn't be wiped off the earth. They're not gonna be wiped off the earth. I do not understand any of these people who living and breathing, uh who who want to be about the business of just wiping other people off the earth. (laughs) Why are people so invested in genocide in the ways that they are? I don't understand that because if you wipe these people off the earth, somebody's going to come along and want to wipe you off the earth. And as I recall, there are still people who would like to wipe Jewish people off the earth too. So if I'm Jewish and I'm Palestinian, it would be in my best interest to bond together and be about the business of creating peaceful existence so that what in it, whatever enemies come your way, you can take them down together. Because you think the Palestinians are your enemies? They are not. Some of them, just like you think other people are your friends. They are not. Some of them, I don't get, I don't get, I don't understand Listen, this is be- playground 101 stuff that could be resolved, you know. And I don't understand why, you know, they can't come together on this. I get it, Hamas is a terrorist group. The world is full of terrorists. God knows. Ask me how I know. We got some right here in America, homegrown terrorists, and we can't seem to rid ourselves of them. And no one is even talking about rid themselves of the terrorists that live here in America we wouldn't even dream of having that conversation. So why is it okay to have this conversation? What do you mean, rid yourselves of terrorism? You know how you rid yourselves of terrorism? Not by killing people. Because if I'm a terrorist and you keep killing up my people, that just just ingrains my mission into me a bit more, I think. I'm no terrorist. I'm just trying to look at this from where folks are you know and listen you cannot oppress people I don't care who you are where you are they're gonna rise up they're gonna rise up take a page from American history <laughs> you cannot enslave people into perpetuity I don't I it's just that's not gonna happen you you are only gonna be able to curtail their movements for some so long and okay maybe it could be for hundreds of years Like American enslavement, all right, but maybe not. Maybe it'll take 75 years. Who knows? I do know this. If y'all don't come together and resolve this with some peace, your enemies are going to take you both out. I I don't know why Israel acting like they don't got no enemies. You got friends. You got friends in the moment, but you did not always have friends, my friends. You did not always have friends, my friends. So listen, D- don't be short memoryed. Don't be short memoryed. Don't be short memory, because the people who riding with you now wasn't the people that was riding with you in the beginning. They wasn't riding with you back in the day. They were not. And you know they weren't. Because when they allowed Hitler to do the mess that he was doing, and everybody knew what was happening. And please don't tell me people didn't know. Everybody knew. They was just taking a blind eye to it because they don't like y'all. They were like, well, we'll step in at some point. And at some point they did. But after six million Jews went to their deaths, and then who let you in? Because people wasn't letting you in your country when y'all was like, oh, we gotta run, we gotta run. Where did y'all go? Well, a lot of a lot of these countries that you think you're friendly with wasn't about having you. You know, wasn't wasn't trying to open their borders to you. They weren't. <laughs> so 75 years ain't changed a whole lot. So while you think you might have friends. And by friends, I mean America. <laughs> Listen, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Karma is a real thing. It really is. And you can't tell me that you can't resolve this better than what you're doing. And so this makes me think there was some other underlying issue here. There's some other underlying issue that you know we're not privy to. Because I'm I'm not just gonna, it can't be just that these people lob these bombs at you. Because y'all are used to people lobbing bombs at you all the time. You live in that state of, fear right and i'm not saying you should live in a state of fear because i don't know what that is and i would get on my nerves you know to, to to but then here i am a black woman in america so i know something about terror and terrorism <laughs> i know something about terror and terrorism My my this country is full of terrorism actions against my people day in and day out even right at this very moment. So I know something about that. I know what it's like to live in fear. I know what it's like. I do. I I swear to God I know what it's like to live in fear all the time. You know. So I'm so so I say this from a place of uh uh uh, uh, uh a real understanding of 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 this this is only one planet. And there's no new land being created. And Peace cannot be bought with violence. It is can't. Right? And the moments that you think you have wiped these people out, you have not. You have not. And it's always gonna some it's always gonna be somebody coming for you. It's always gonna be somebody coming for you. You know. But but you could bring peace to that part of the world because you have the power to bring peace I, you know honestly i i just don't understand how you don't see this coming i you got all the technology all the weaponry you got all of it you ain't see this coming you mean there's planning this? you ain't see it yeah what's wrong with your intel so that makes me think you know that there there's something not right in this whole story but i that's not for me to say i it's not my homeland i I'm just asking questions. I'm just uh, this is how I'm this is how I think. I'm like, well, how come you ain't see that coming? Like, y'all got all the technology. You you got this city is walled up. All kinds of stuff happening. You got to need you need papers to go back and forth. You Palestinian, all this other kind of stuff. How come you ain't see this coming? I don't get it. So those are the questions I I want answers to. You know why why you over here saying this what is happening over here that's all no harm, no harm no foul and and you know what it's not anti-semitic to ask questions and stop stop cheapening that word and that sentiment stop it everybody stop cheapening that word uh the words anti-semitic because people are asking questions or people are inquiring about facts and people want to get to the heart and the root of things You know, and people are questioning why this is happening and why can't this be stopped? That's not anti-Semitic. I'm not against Israel. Who's against Israel? Except Hamas. (laughs) And and are they really against Israel? They're just against policies. I I don't think they feel like, oh, we're just going to kill Jewish people because they're Jewish. Uh, Your policies are infringing on our right to be free. That's it. That's that's at the heart of any conflict. We want to be free. How do we how do we get to freedom? How do we get to freedom anywhere in the world when people are shooting and lobbing bombs? You can't get to freedom that way. And I and I know there are people who will be like, "Well, you know, wars. Uh, uh, I get it. We have to fight our way. We have to fight. We have to show might. We have to I get it. I get it. I get it." Really though, is that the only at this day and age? Is this the only recourse we have? Is violence and the killing of children, people who who just want to go to the market and get today's groceries, <laughs> who just want to read a story to the children? What what? <laughs> and 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 who were living under the conditions that they were living under? Wrong is wrong and right is right. I don't care. I don't care who says it or not say it. Wrong is wrong. Right is right. That's just it. And we have to be better humans. And we're not. We're just not being good to each other. We're just not. You know, I I, I feel this way about Congo. The world has been stealing and raping Congo Forever and ever, and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, and and we turn a blind eye because we like these little gadgets in our hands. We we want we want more cell phones and we want more we want more gadgets that those resources make available to us. And and we don't want the Congo Congolese people in the way. And we don't want them to have a say in their destiny. And we don't want to make them partners in the profitability of these resources. So we're going to lay the blanket of white supremacy over them and curtail their movements and their actions and their resources. It's just outrageous. Now, this might be more than you could taste, so I'll I'll bring you something a little smaller for your plate. When you go to Jamaica, there's only one or two public beaches that Jamaicans have access to. 90% of the beaches, actual Jamaicans who live on that island cannot access because of the resorts and hotels. They have bought that property and they don't allow for Jamaicans to come on that beach. Same story, as far as I'm concerned. It just hasn't gotten violent. So Jamaicans only have one or two places they could go on their whole island <laughs> to enjoy what is in their birthright? <laughs> and who thinks this is right? And why do hotels insist on <laughs> creating an oasis but will shut out the very people that make the oasis possible? It's baffling to me. And yet they do it with. Without a thought of of moral anything, I'm thinking you and somebody's country building hotels, and you don't allow them access to the very thing that makes this island gorgeous and beautiful. Do you, do you see? Where I'm going with these conversations that we are. And I and I, I say we, like I got a hand in this, I say we because this is human human stuff. This is human beings. These are we are people of, of great thinking ability, uh uh and reasoning, so-called reasoning. So I find that troublesome. <laughs> and I, I did not know that this was the case until I saw it in some publications of, of of respect, you know, respectable publications. So I'm just like, huh, is that true? Yes, it's very true. And my Jamaican friends know that this is true. And they've been saying this for quite some time. So I'm just like, how, how is that possible? well because no one calls them out and and we don't have any regard for the Jamaican people do you know what i mean we just have no regard we want to inhabit and occupy their homeland and we don't want them to complain about it and we don't want them to raise their voice about it and we want them To, like, not go to the beach. (laughs) And by the beach, I mean, we don't want them to inhabit it, fish on it. We don't want them to do anything. (coughs) Oh, and by the way, we're going to dump stuff in the waters from our hotels because, eh, we'll clean up where we are. But wherever this trash finds its way, it just finds its way. That can't be right, boys and girls. (laughs) I grew up in the 70s and 80s with a whole campaign about recycling and taking care of the earth. (laughs) It was whole ads with indigenous people (laughs) talking about, please take care of the earth. They must have missed that in Jamaica. I don't know. I don't know what they think is going to happen. Uh I don't know if they think it's gonna happen uh uh when you use up all the resources of a of a place. When you use up all the resources of a because these resources are not infinite. You know what I mean? Like at some point, some point. You know, a couple of things is gonna happen. As I said earlier, you cannot oppress people because they're gonna rise up. Because they're going to rise up and they're going to be like, enough. I'm not going to live under these conditions any longer. I am a human being in God's creation. I'm not supposed to live like this. My people are not supposed to live like this. My children are not supposed to live like this. And guess what happens next? We got a whole Bible full of these kind of stories. They got got a whole Bible full of these kinds of stories (laughs) of people being oppressed and seeking their freedom. A whole Bible. You know. I know. I know that all these all these uh, all these religious books have had these stories of people rising up under God's care to fight oppression. This, the Old Testament is the Hebrew Bible. The Torah is that. All those stories in there about Jewish people running for their lives, rising up, fighting back against the Pharaoh, all the things. Same stories, same stories. <laughs> same stories. All the same story. Nobody likes oppression. Nobody wants to be oppressed. People want to live free. They want to live. There's whole flags that say live free or die. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know why we keep missing this lesson about, about about curtailing the movement of people for for you know for their control. Because there's something that that we want of them from them, their their assets, their land, their mineral rights the, you, it, you, it's mostly land always land right It's always land i was I was listening to this thing that's going on in uh in Brazil, right? like oh in Guyana, so I guess Brazil is trying to move on Guyana for land, and I'm listening to this, and they're they're marching with military might on these people to move them out of the whole country. (laughs) Because they believe that historically it's really their land. And I'm thinking, what in God's name is happening? Why are people making these ridiculous movements Against whole countries and people. Why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? It's just frightening to me. It really is frightening to me. How we just uh, will allow for this kind of foolishness in the world. And it it only came to my attention because somebody sent it to me. Because I had no idea. Cause, you know, I'm not paying attention to what's happening in South America. I'm just trying to. I'm trying to be concerned what's happening right here. But when you get that information, you're like, what the hell? how, 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 <laughs> what is happening, you know? And then once you get it, you're like, ah. Oh. So Guyana, it's Venezuela. Sorry, Brazil, Venezuela. So Venezuela uh, esqua, es, esquibo is trying to take over Guyana. <laughs> and I, I'm thinking to myself, what is happening? Venezuela, sorry, not Brazil, Venezuela. Listen, I'm not down near enough to pay attention to any of that, but last I heard Venezuela was having some financial problems uh and 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 their country is falling to ruin. So how are they marching on somebody? And what does Guyana have that they now want? Do you know what I mean? Like what, what is it? So I, I'm not dug deep enough uh in to find out uh what is happening, but I believe it's territorial uh disputes. So so they they agreed to sit down and talk about it before they march with I don't know, weapons. So uh there's a lot going on. So, yeah, so Brazil, Venezuela, all these little countries down there, they're all trying to have a conversation about trading and what that looks like and what that could look like. And everybody's fighting over land yet again in another part of the world as if there's new land to be made somewhere, you know. So we'll see what happens. But I I think we have to keep our eye on it. I don't know what they want Guyana to say. We're not giving you our whole country. You know, what do you want? So, you know, so that means the United States has to, what side are we on? Whose side are we on? I guess we, I guess we down with uh, Guyana. Oh, I see, there's oil. You know, when you read a little bit, ah, there's oil. Oil, 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 oil. That's what this is about. I knew it was about something. <laughs> I knew it was something. I knew it was, a, I, I knew it was something. So, so they're fighting about oil, the r- r- oil rich land. And uh, right now, it's in Guyana. It's controlled by Guyana. But uh, Venezuela is like, uh, let me pull some maps out. I think this is our land. So therefore, that oil belongs to us. <laughs> now, you know they're gonna, they want to fight, right? Everybody wants to fight now because we got to take this land. We got to take it. We gotta take this land, cause that's my right. Is our 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 oil? Because we are we are hurting in Venezuela, and this might be our ticket out to play on the world stage and get some money <laughs> for our for our. I, I don't even, Will it be for the people? I don't know. I mean i I don't know the Venezuelan uh, politics, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm i I'm gonna dig in a little bit and find out. But this is not going to be on your your news because this is of no interest. Uh, It's it's of interest to America because, you know, we like oil too. And we are friendly with Guyana. And we're going to align ourselves with Guyana if a fight breaks out. Because we are already running drills with them in the ocean. (laughs) See See Just such a warring mentality. Such a warring mentality for a planet that this is the only planet that we have and i don't understand why we can't share share you know share is such a strange word that is not that, that does not have any place in politics i i would imagine or or trade <laughs> no no one wants to share resources no one wants to share anything they don't want to share technology they don't want to share resources. They don't want to share borders. They want to do anything. They don't want to share. It's just, I, you know, we ought to ban share from kindergarten because we teach, we start 3K talking about, oh, we must share. You all must share. You want to play together? Play together. Share. <laughs> and then we get to adult life and all of that goes out the window. Now it's, I'm going to take up arms against you because I don't want to share. (laughs) I don't want to share with you. I'm going to kill you and your people because I want all the rights, all the control of that land that is oil rich. I don't care about your people. I don't care about our people. I just want that oil because all I see is dollar signs. I didn't read any Advent story today, and I probably should have, because that would have given me a a, a a a finer mind. So Harry, before I before I jump off, let me um. Let me uh let me get the Advent reading in quickly. Um, this one is called uh, "Winter Is Coming." So. So as she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. I grew up with versions of this, story told, told, of this story told me through storybooks, nativity scenes, Christmas plays and advertisements. I remember my mother out in the front yard hitching up the lights for the nativity scene so all who would drive by could witness a wooden baby Jesus in a manger on display. Mind you, our manger scene had Santa Claus kneeling to see the baby. I know it wasn't politically correct, but hey, we like to represent everyone at our home. After hearing the nativity story so many times, you start to get this quaint picture in your mind of Mary and Joseph in their stable. An image of Mary rocking the newborn while all the cattle surround them with animated smiles. It's the perfect little Christmas story. The truth is that the circumstances of Jesus' birth was obscure and far from ideal. Joseph and Mary were waiting alone for Mary to enter labor, not knowing when that would be. The baby was placed in a feeding trough, a place where animals ate their food from. It was likely dark, just as the stars above them, and people there was no pain relief. At people, there was no pain relief, no epidurals for sweet Mary. At that moment, it was simply she and God partnered together to bring this baby into the weary world. I have to burn this picture into my brain to remind myself that God is in the business of using the most unideal circumstances to accomplish his most significant purposes. The whole story of Jesus's birth is entirely unassuming. It's anonymous. It wasn't the talk to the town. It wasn't making the news. It was a birth in a relatively obscure area, out of sight and tucked away. And it wasn't until the star appeared that the news spread. Emmanuel is here. He is finally, finally with us. I always wonder why. Why so anonymous? Why far out from the crowds? Why a secret place? Because that's the way our God moves a lot of the time, in the obscure winter seasons. If you're anything like me, you would prefer to skip your stories winter seasons. You know the type where God is doing something big inside you, but there's no way to talk about it. There are no words to declare it. You can do nothing but stay and allow Him to move in ways you cannot take credit for. Author Alicia Britt Chole writes: "The Father, the Father's works in us does not sleep, though in spiritual winters He retracts all advertisement." And when he does, he is purifying our faith, strengthening our character, conserving our energy and preparing us for the future. Though in spiritual winters, he retracts all advertisements. I believe this happened as Mary and Joseph prepared to give birth to their baby. God was doing something big, the biggest thing he'd ever done. But it it didn't come into the world looking how we expect the big things to look. It came quietly. It came unassumingly. It came out of a lovely place, an environment no one would think to enter into looking for a king. We cannot discount discount God's actions when it feels like nothing is happening, or no one sees our growth, or no comments are made on our progress. In these parts of the story, we hopefully figure out how to lean into God. In these spiritual winters, we can learn he is the only audience we need. We don't need all the followers. We don't need all the fancy filters. We don't need all the pomp and circumstance. It will never fill. It will simply never fill. What we need to do is draw closer. We must trust that God is here, even when we cannot see the complete story unfolding. He is with us, Emmanuel. He is totally and completely with us for whatever is coming next. The readings, Luke 2, 6 through 7. Here's your still this prayer, and then I'm going to take a break. Dear God, you do your best work when it seems the rest of the world isn't watching. Within the waiting, during the winter, help me see the purpose in the seasons I don't want to stand in, so I can declare your goodness to all who need a fresh reminder of who you are. I'll be back.
1: Soil around your home could contain lead. Lead paint can harm young children, affecting their kidneys and brain, slowing a child's growth and making learning difficult. But lead poisoning is 100% preventable. We have funding to keep you and your family safe. To learn more about our program, visit nhbhealth.org. Together New Haven, we can get the lead out. Oh. Such happiness in the coming year. Oh baby, let's deck the horse with holly, Sing sweet silent night Fill the tree with angel hair Pretty, pretty night Go to sleep and wake up Just before daylight
3: Show signs of stopping And I've brought me some corn for poppin' The lights are turned way down low Let it snow, let it snow When we finally kiss goodnight How I'll hate going out in the storm But if you really hold me tight All the way home I'll be warm And the fire is slowly and my dear, we're still goodbye. But as long as you love me so, let it snow, let it snow and snow When we finally kiss good night
4: they know that Santa's on his way. He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh, and every mother's child is gonna spy to see it rain with how to fly.
2: Welcome back to the second hour of Love Babs Love Talk on Babs Roll's Ivy. Woo! I'm delighted. I've got an actual Fisk person in the house today. Hey, Will Spivy. <laughs> unmute yourself and let's get into it. <laughs> so you need you need the you need the babies there. You need the babies there to do do the technology work. Good morning.
5: Good morning, Babs.
2: How are you? Okay, go ahead. I knew it was coming. It was. I knew it was coming.
5: How's it going? Good morning.
2: You all right? Everything is good? I'm doing
5: good. Very good. Thank you.
2: Listen, I got the books yesterday.
5: Nice.
2: Nice, 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 nice. All right. So let me tell people a little bit about you because it's on the back of the book. So, so William Spivy hails from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and is a graduate of Fisk University. <laughs> He's the proud father of three adult children and nine grandchildren, all girls, hashtag girl granddad. We love that. Uh, he and his wife, Carol, the very beautiful Carol, uh, reside in Palm Coast, Florida. I have no, no idea where that is, but it's in Florida, which a i e Jurassic Park. So <laughs> <laughs> So his other works include Estranged Americans, Fallacies of Freedom, Citizenship, and Racism, along with a contributing chapter in the anthology, Field Notes on Allyship, Achieving Equality Together. So Strong Beginnings is the first uh, of a trilogy, and keep both eyes out for the next installment, Zane's Chillin', uh, coming out in 2024. And you can follow him at uh, WilliamFSpivy.com and on Medium. Uh, williamsbivy.medium.com. Hey, hey, hey! All right, so let's 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 talk about uh, estranged Americans, uh, fallacies of freedom, citizenship, and racism. So, t- talk to me about um, uh, why you felt compelled to write this book and what is it about? Because I I haven't had a chance to read it. I just kind of glanced through. I imagine it is um, uh, about the history of racism in this country and and uh, the notions of freedom and f- citizenship and how racism ties it all together in a bow.
5: <laughs> it's a collection of 26 essays and okay. they were written over a period of time. And uh, the ones I selected are you know, evergreen and not tied to a particular moment in time, like some of the political stuff I write. And if I can go through some of the table of contents, it'll give you an idea of what the book is about. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Souls of White Folk, Who is White <laughs> in America and Why? Ah. which is the rule that perpetrated slavery and legalized rape. The American middle-class is only meant for white people. Does anyone think Thomas Jefferson was stupid? The chronic underfunding of HBCUs, the would-be master and won't be slaves, and that's about uh, uh, what was going on in, in Nashville with uh, Justin Jones, Justin Pearson, um, when the Tennessee legislature uh, tried to remove them from the uh, Tennessee House of Representatives, the leading white men of Edgefield, which is more historical in nature, and Jim Crow is economic impression and, and uh, domestic terrorism. So that gives you an idea of some of the types of topics that I address. And they're for the most part opinion pieces, some of it's straight history with uh interpretation that you won't find in a Florida school book.
2: Mm. So you you I, if I if I remember this correctly, you started writing about these things long before they started having these ridiculous conversations around critical race theory and the banning of information and in books and the telling of of, uh, of American history through the eyes of blackness and black history. So what, what is the catalyst for you for, for doing this work? Cause this is not
5: easy work. I initially started on, I guess it was Facebook and just writing whatever was on my mind, responding to the events of the day. And I got into history a little bit, but it really started for me, the, I guess it was a single moment. I attended a funeral one of my Fisk classmates, and there was another fist guy there, a uh, guy named Malcolm Cunningham. He's an attorney in uh, West Palm Beach. And he said, I've been reading your stuff. I like it. He said, there's a book you need to read. And it was The Devil in, Devil in the Grove, uh, which was about the Groveland boys, the Groveland Four about four uh, young Black men that were accused unjustly of rape. Uh, One of them was shot 100 times or so while he was being captured. Uh, The sheriff there ultimately uh, shot and killed one of them while transporting them back for a second trial. It involves Thurgood Marshall as a young lawyer long before he got to the Supreme Court. Uh, It involves uh, NAACP and a lot of stuff. And there's so much history... And what shocked me was all this was taking place 30 miles from where I lived in Grove. I lived in Orlando at the time and and in Groveland, Florida. And I was hearing and had heard nothing about it. So there was so much history everywhere. I also lived 10 miles at a time from Ocoee, Florida, where in 1920, there was a big massacre there uh, after two men tried to vote. And basically they either shot and killed or burned out every black person in the town O'Coe, Florida had no black citizens for over 40 years. Wow. And that was 10 miles from where I lived. Wow. So I started So when, to... you, so when you
2: find out this information, Bill, but look, you you feel compelled to do something about it. Like you feel compelled to what? Dig deeper, um, research, find out if it's true, find out how much of it is true. Like what what is the talk to me about what drives you to do this? I mean, beyond right. You, you went to a funeral, you met, you caught up with a fist person. That's one story. You've got a whole book of essays of of these little known hist- historical
5: facts. You know, seems like all the research leads to something else. And you okay. uncover more things as you go. And the beautiful thing about it is uh, you start to get context. And you understand that this thing relates to that thing. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you what, well, it won't disappoint you because you know me because you'll you'll understand this, but when I went to Fisk, I was a basketball player. I wasn't a poet like you would wanted me to be. And (laughs) there was so much that was around me that I had no idea about. Uh, I would cut through the administration building and I would not know and didn't know till 20 years later that Aaron Douglas had painted some murals called God's trombones on the second floor and they were there for all to see. Aaron Douglas was on the faculty at Fisk when I was there and I had no idea. I had been to uh, Kelly Miller Smith's church, and uh, it didn't mean anything to me. And, and only later did I realize he was one of the freedom writers and involved in that movement. And there was so much history right around me that, you know, besides the stuff you couldn't help but know about, like the Jubilee Singers, that I wasn't aware of and just had no concept of until I started, you know, really looking into these things. Uh, the Fisk Library has a Bible, one of the three. Uh, Slave Bibles, known where they took out some of the stuff you didn't want them—they didn't want slaves to read about Mm -hmm. about revolution. Uh, So Fisk has one of the three Bibles in the world in the library where I spent a lot of time reading the newspaper to see if my name was in the paper from playing basketball. So (laughs) uh, I had all that available to me and missed it. So now it's my obligation to go back and fill in the blanks.
2: Mm. Okay, so I I appreciate the obligation part. Okay, so you so you got this book of of essays, and and I imagine this is not going to be the last book of essays because the at the more that you go down these rabbit holes of information, the more there is to talk about, uh, about this bringing this history to to the to the light, and you know it's not lost on me, Bill, that you live in Florida, which is you know leading the charge with you know dismantling Black history and 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 history as we know it uh, to students and to anybody who was interested in
5: history. Yeah, as you know, uh, Florida initially declined to accept the uh, advanced placement black history course uh, because Ron DeSantis, our governor, didn't like what was in it. And you know, I've had a chance to go really get into that. And it is true when he says that Florida has a comprehensive take on black history. They cover a whole lot of different subjects But their take on history is so wrong uh, that I felt compelled compelled to write about it. And I wrote a letter to the editor that was published in the Orlando Sentinel. Uh, But basically, uh, several times, Florida, in their history guidelines, they say that the increase in the the well-known and well-documented increase in the number of enslaved people uh, during uh, America's history uh, was due to natural reproduction, they call it. A lot of historians call it natural increase. And what they don't say, that the cause of that was really force breeding and rape. And those are words you will not find in a Florida history book. And also, the Florida history book will tell you about any abolitionists they could find, any white abolitionists they could find, and tell you about all the intent of white people to do better. And they'll tell you <laughs> about Lincoln's intent. They'll tell you about everybody else. And nobody <laughs> will say it like Patrick Henry said it, but he said he can't believe that he was so lazy that he couldn't do anything about except accept the value of his slaves that uh and that the Christians accepted it and it's just it's crazy so you will not get an honest view about uh black history in Florida although they cover a lot of subjects
2: hmm. okay I appreciate that and thank you for doing that because I think we I think we are so under siege and I think, that everyday ordinary people have to sort of be about the business of doing what you're doing is to seek out this information and then elevating it on whatever platforms that they have at their disposal. Otherwise, I think this history, this rich history will be lost.
5: Yeah, um, and I've got grandchildren, of five of which are, are pretty local to me, and uh, they're an hour away, so I see them quite regularly. And they're now getting to the point where you know the oldest of that group are now 10 and 11, and uh, one just turned 12. And, you know, I asked them, what are you learning about history? And they tell me, and they said, we, we learned about Ruby Bridges. I said, okay. Well, what did you learn about Ruby Bridges? And uh, my uh, my favorite, I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> one of them. <laughs> uh, all the others will just have just had to forgive me. But okay, one you, of them said you're that gonna have to have you're gonna have to up
2: that uh, uh, that Christmas list now.
5: <laughs> <laughs> My favorite for this type of conversation uh, she told me that Ruby Bridges was uh bullied and that she was a uh, uh, aware that she had to go to classes by herself and that you know people were young and screaming at her and things like that. I said, oh, did you learn that in school?" He said, no, I saw a movie on Disney Plus. I said, did they teach you about it in school? I said, she said, no. And uh, I talked to the others um, and none of them really had any concept of what she went through. And even if you look through the publicly available information, you can see, and there's a famous Norman Rockwell painting, yes. uh, Ruby walking with a couple of marshals. Uh, and you, that's all you see in the background. You never see the crowd like you might see from Little Rock Central yelling and screaming and hurling insults and calling her you know, n- names and like uh, it's, it's already, the, the tale has been whitewashed. And so you know that, you know, she was the first black child to integrate a school in New Orleans. And yeah, that's a good thing, but you don't hear about any of the bad things associated with it.
2: That's true. And she's very much still alive. Like she's, you know, she's in my age cohort, right? Like she's relatively <clears throat> yeah, young Yeah, she's a
5: civil rights activist. She's, she's written a few uh, graphic novels and children's books uh, describing her experience. And uh, I've given a thought to uh, collaborating with my grandchildren and writing a book about their interests and what they want to know about Black history. But I'm working on toning it down so it's still age-appropriate because I haven't <laughs> done age-appropriate as of yet. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that, you know what? That might be fun. I mean, I think you could learn a lot when you, when you try to explain history to children. Uh, but I think it's a necessary act because if, if they don't get it, if our children don't get it from us, where are they going to get it from? You know, so now, this is what, what I wow. love is
5: that they ask great questions. Mm-hmm. And when they ask a question, I feel that opens the door for me to say whatever the answer is. <laughs> uh, but if they don't ask, the, I'm not trying to impose on them and start, you know, telling them about, you know, from, some of the things I could talk about. I, I I get that.
2: Okay, so so this book is out. People can buy it. People can get it. People should get it. They should read it. It's well done. I can't wait to pour over it. pour over it. Uh, thank you for signing it. I appreciate that. Now we move on to the next book, which I think I know a little something about. <laughs> <laughs> Strong Beginnings, which I, I love the way this looks. Like I love this, this cover. So talk about this story and it has a uh, historical overtures in it as well. Uh, but talk about this story. and And I mean, this is a work of fiction uh, historical fiction which which seems to be all the rage right now like my sister friend Victoria uh Christopher Murray has a historical uh book out uh with a co-author on uh on uh um uh uh Roosevelt uh the woman that was friends with uh was the the uh the the librarian for uh uh one of the richest uh land Barons in the country at that particular time uh, the, I think it's the Vanderbilts um and then she has another book, another historical book, fiction book out. So um, there's a couple of folks who are who are writing uh, fiction, nonfiction with uh, uh, historical reference to it. Talk about this. Talk about the strong, the strong uh, beginnings. Because the, na- the the name of the family is called Strong.
5: That's correct. Okay. And uh, the inspiration came from it initially. Uh, I have a friend uh, from the Strong family. Uh, that mentioned her grandfather was lynched. And, you know, that really got me thinking, how do you even deal with that? And the truth is that she didn't know a whole lot about the circumstances. And uh, you got to feel like that's a thing that's going to affect your family. And also, I'm thinking that, you know, every Black person that's been in America for a few generations is not too many degrees away from somebody that's been lynched. Um, so, you know, I started working from that story um, without having any real information about it. But there was also another lynching that took place nearby, a real lynching called the Moore's Ford Bridge lynchings, uh, mm-hmm. where four, two couples were killed and, and shot on a bridge uh, over 100 times each. Uh, and uh, in my story, without giving away too much, uh, the grandfather of the person that I know witnessed the Moore's Ford Bridge lynchings. And was seen by a boy who later revealed that he saw him there. Uh, the grandfather was killed, and the family had to leave town and uh, you know and get away. But then fifty years later, uh, it all comes back, and they end up going back to Covington, Georgia, to resolve that uh, that matter.
2: So, how do you <laughs> now this? There's love stories in this thing, right? Like. There's, there's. It's not It's not. It's not dreary. It's, it's a story of a family and their ups and downs, and they've got love interests and challenges and tension. So how do you, how do you incorporate that into a story with such heavy historical uh, over overview?
5: Well, uh, several years ago, when you pointed me to to Nano uh, <laughs> I understood that they were plotters in pantsers. Uh, people that write by the seat of their pants, and I'm one of those. <laughs> so you know, I start with a concept, and then I write, and it goes uh, wherever it goes. And I think I probably got my literary background from comic books. <laughs> that I grew up reading comic books, and in comic books, you go from you have to really keep track of the plot because from issue to issue, from whatever you have to uh, really you know keep track of the characters and the different and merge all the stories together. So it seems like that part came naturally to me to merging together a bunch of storylines and having it come out. And fortunately it came out to be about 70 some thousand words at the end and the perfect length for a novel for that genre. Um, But uh, I based it, you know, when when you write, you write about what you know in some sense. And because I had a family to work with where I knew, you know, the parents, the children and you know how they interacted together and stuff like that. It was it wasn't that hard to because I wasn't starting from scratch, mm-hmm. um, so I was able to take those characters and give them each, you know, an individuality where they're able to where you know they're distinct people as opposed to just filler.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so I mean the lead character is 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 a woman. Uh, uh well I mean she she's in the middle of this this. It's this love triangle. I I if I recall correctly, and uh, how do you how do you write from a from that from that voice? What like, what inspired you to write from that voice? Well, how do you capture women? How do you do that?
5: At first, I based it on uh, a real actually people in this case because there was two women that I merged to create this character. Uh, one of them is a friend of yours, Kelly Wickham Hurst, mm-hmm. um, who I basically borrowed her career. <laughs> uh, as an assistant principal at that time who went on to become and do greater things and then uh, also uh, Patrice Strong uh, who I went to school with and was a good friend with and, st- and still am a good friend with after all this time um, so I was able to, to take those qualities and merge them and then as the book went on and she met different people, uh, she was in a relationship when it started then she broke up with that uh, gentleman who didn't appreciate what he had and then you know single for the first time in several years uh, she was getting uh, the attention of two different men and she eventually chose she wasn't sleeping around (laughs) but uh she did choose uh uh eventually she had to make a choice and one of those would have turned out to have been a pretty bad choice oh and so
2: so how do you how do you keep up with the tension like did, did you read other books? Are you a romance reader? Are you a are you a a, a black women reader uh, author reader like like how do you how do you how do you write books of uh, fiction uh, that can satisfy uh, uh, the strong fiction readers out there who like historical
5: uh, romance and drama and intrigue. Well, I'm, I'm waiting for the reviews to come in, so the jury's out as to whether they're satisfied or not.
2: <laughs> yeah, but how, I mean, but you know, you you must you must have some 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 inkling of of this because you wrote this. This is your this is your baby, and and you and you've taken a great deal of care with this. Um, uh, were you nervous about this? Did you feel like, oh, I don't know if I could do this, or like, what was the the what propelled you? What kept you going in terms of
5: finishing this um i found that finishing it was not that hard i was always a voracious reader even in like second grade where you know those were days where you could walk to the, a kid could walk to the library and, and get a book and bring it home and go back and feel safe um but uh you know when i got to fisk you know i i took i met a, an instructor called dr lm collins who was an amazing inspiration. And he taught a Harlem Renaissance class. He taught, you know, several different English classes. And I wasn't an English major, um, but I took every class that he offered. And I get inspired by reading a lot of, uh, you know, besides Langston Hughes and Zora Neale Hurston, you know, County Cullen and some of the people that you might not uh, be so aware of. And I always read I, you know, after college, was right around the Watergate area and I read everything political everything associated with Watergate and all the different uh, biographies and autobiographies and kept on reading I was in book of the month club so reading was always something that came naturally natural to me mm-hmm. writing uh you know besides what I started writing my little essays on uh Facebook I ran into this this woman that believed in magic <laughs> <laughs> and she was quite an inspiration to me and we would go over some of the stuff that I was writing and I would read it to her. She'd make me read it to her. I didn't, I wasn't really comfortable reading it to her, but I'd read it out loud. And then she would invite me or encourage me to consider a different point of view, which was her way of telling me, this is what you need to do and just stop being an idiot. (laughs) So uh, my, a lot of my growth came through that process. And uh, I'd like to thank you, Babs, (laughs) Rawls Ivy for your help in, in, Helping me to be a writer, <laughs> pushing me to do things like nano write more, pushing me to enter contests, pushing me to write, 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 and then how to go over the stuff and review it. So I, I'd like to thank you as being partially, if not fully, responsible for the works I have out now. Well, you
2: you are kind to say, but I, you know, listen, you are you were already a writer. You were all you already had the tools. I just, you know, I just blew in and just like, okay you know i was like the wind a little bit and uh but you it was really really you just you just you had you had all the good stuff so and so now i understand this is going to be a series of books like this is i mean you've already tempted us with the the next iteration of this the the um um, the the next body of work that is connected to this yeah zane's
5: zane's chilling is next and talk to me about that what is that about You'll find, what, as I was writing Strong Beginnings, uh, what I found was that I kept, was pulling towards another genre actually. That, uh, you know, a lot of what I wanted to write was not just historical fiction, but also maybe a little bit of sci-fi and fantasy. Oh, and Zane's that's a chilling, big
2: deal right now
5: too. Like that's a huge deal. Yeah, Zane's chilling goes into a little bit more of that realm And while it has some crossover characters from Strong Beginnings, uh, I'm really still unsure in my mind as to which one people should read first, Um, Mm -hmm. because you can read either one first and not be lost. Although if you read, uh, if you've read Strong Beginnings first, you know, all of a sudden you'll recognize, hey, I know that character, or hey, I know that character, and then find out that their character is more to them than you originally thought. And uh, there's some characters in Strong Beginnings, like, say, uh, Mercer is a character that, um, let me just say that Mercer turns out to be somebody that's that's famous and uh, Mercer is their middle name. Um, so, mm-hmm. um, so- I, I, I think I know this.
2: <laughs>
5: <laughs> you might. And, uh, you know, the book's not coming out until 2024. Um, so, you know, the good news is it's already written, and I was going through uh, some of my uh, notes when I was talking to my friend Roger about some some material I shared with him a few years ago, and uh, I looked back and I saw I had the first 12,000 words written of the third in the trilogy. So, uh, is it okay to cuss on this show? No, you can't. It's a family show. Okay. <laughs> <one second. laughs> Lily Jackson once said on her live album that, you know, all the stuff I got coming out. <laughs> 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 um, so the next uh, book of essays is going to come out before Black History Month. It's all going to be uh, so next month is going to be an essay uh, a collection about black, all the black history you won't read about in Florida textbooks, mm. and it's going to be probably about thirty-five essays because I'm going to leave out all the pictures this time. I found out that you know. The printing costs with all the pictures I had in the, in the, in the Stranger Americans drove up the cost of the book. So I'm trying to lower the cost of the book. So I'm going to eliminate a lot of the pictures,
1: okay. um, but
5: okay. that's going to be ready. And it's going to be what I'm hoping would be something people can sit on their table and, you know, it'll cause some, uh, discussions. Uh, cause I think, uh, one of the things in this book is, did you think Thomas Jefferson was stupid? Uh, Thomas Jefferson. Uh, is credited for ending the international slave trade, which he, he did in 1807. Uh, but what he, the reason he did it was to increase the price of domestic-bred slaves, the ones that are being forced-bred and raped, and to eliminate competition. So there was no path towards finally eliminating slavery on his mind. It was simply to increase the value of the ones he had, because uh, Virginia and Maryland and Delaware had excess uh, enslaved people because they had ruined the land by not rotating crops and doing some other stuff. So all the tobacco they, they were growing uh, wasn't as profitable and they had people they couldn't use it. They were in need further south, you know, for indigo and rice and, and cotton growing. So uh, Thomas Jefferson gets credit for being a benevolent slave owner, where in the uh, nailery that was on his, his land, they were whipping the teen boys to increase productivity. And there was a historian called Edwin Betts that found a letter describing it and he covered it up because it didn't meet the narrative. So, Mm. uh, and Thomas Jefferson wrote a letter to George Washington uh, saying that you can increase your profits by four to 10% by putting your money into enslaved people uh, and having the women have a baby at least every two years. Um, so this is the Thomas Jefferson that I know, and he wasn't stupid. he was he's was a bright man. And as you'll find out in if we ever get to Buckingham uh, Buckingham uh, Jefferson, which is another one of my books that's down the road, that uh, you'll find out that Thomas Jefferson stuttered. You've never heard of Thomas Jefferson' speech <laughs> or seen he stuttered, he had a bad stutter, and had he not had a stutter, he, he might have been able a little bit more of a player with white women and not have to deal with a 14 year old slave girl so that's the kind of stuff I write Ooh. about <laughs> oh yeah they yeah yeah Florida Florida can't
2: handle this <laughs> <laughs> no I'm nowhere in America can handle this <laughs> I mean this is this is good conversation though because I think um I think uh in lieu of, of uh, how we are banning books at the moment and and trying to uh, white out uh, black people's contributions to this country and to the world—that uh, these conversations are necessary, and uh, maybe some reading groups will spring up out of uh, e- either one of these books, uh, actually, uh, because I think people appreciate. Um, I mean, I think I think it's palatable when you when you can create a book like Strong Comm- Beginnings and talk about history. Um, and wrap a a story around it um, as opposed to uh, just giving people like hard (laughs) adulterated
5: truth. uh, A book I'm very excited about, Buckingham Randolph Jefferson, I couldn't remember the whole name, uh, is all kinds of history. It involves Thomas Jefferson, it involves Sally Hemings. it involves the uh, uh, Nat Turner, um, Denmark Vesey. And there are stories that involve those events and how they affect the actual people. And while the characters in my book don't, don't actually encounter Nat Turner because they're in North Carolina at the time, um, you find that hundreds of miles away that white people were fearful after the Nat Turner uprising and you know, every slave anywhere was in danger. Yeah, um, and, yeah. Uh, I was, uh, actually, I first got a glimpse of that watching, I think, Roots 2, uh, when he had a, f- a family there that, you know, the the owner, I think it was Chuck Connor or somebody, almost shot his, you know, one of the people that he owned, Chicken George, uh, his son, because uh, he was afraid that he was gonna revolt against him just because of, the, of what had happened with Nat Turner. You see, some of that impact where there a situation is created where lives are at stake because of something happened hundreds of miles away that they weren't involved in. Hmm. Hmm.
2: Ain't that still the truth, though? Ain't that still- <laughs> <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that still pervasive? Isn't that still is what happened? Still happens? the truth. Still the truth. And that's still the black truth.
5: people, for both Jewish people and Palestinian people, you know, is it safe for anybody to walk down the street? Yeah. It's tough. These are these
2: are trying times, my friend i so appreciate you uh having this time with me it's so nice to talk to you we've hadn't had a good conversation in a very long time so this is very nice (laughs) it is it's very nice i'm looking forward to pouring over these books um and reading them i i I actually read your uh political writings quite often uh, and you know i pull every now and again i get a chance to pull some for the inner city so it's, it's nice. It's refreshing. And, uh, and I just, I just think you're probably one of the the best writers that I've read in a very long time. And I, I appreciate your voice on a lot of these matters.
5: Okay. Well, thank you very much for having me. And I appreciate, I'll appreciate hearing what you think. As oh, you, I, I, can't I can't wait. Something else. <laughs> oh, you know, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Once it's getting past inviting now. You just want to tell me. <laughs>
2: Well, I, I might still keep the inviting part. You know, Bill, I invite you <laughs> <laughs> to consider. <laughs> no, it's good. So thank you so much for your time this morning. It was really good to see you. Kiss and all nice the granddaughters. Make sure you get more presents because you don't you done out yourself about the favorite, so now you got you know. <laughs> I, did, I, didn't name, I didn't name her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that! So now they're all gonna claim it. <laughs> it's me. It's me. <laughs> it's me. It's me. It's talking about me. It's talking about me. Oh, that is very smart and very shrewd. So, and uh, and say hi to Carol, and uh, and we'll talk again,
5: my friend. Okay, and she gets credit for the cover of Strong Beginning. I know. Her.
2: I I I I love this cover. Like, this is such a beautiful cover. It really is. When I saw it, I was like, ooh, I love these very Black people. So, nice job. Nice job, Carol. <laughs> Illustrator. Very nice. So, All right, Bill. Thank you so much for your time this morning. It was lovely. All right. Thanks you. again. All right. We'll, we'll talk again. we got more to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, Harry. Uh, I'm out. I'll be back tomorrow. Y'all have a good rest of your day. And, uh, we out there in these streets. I do.